Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Well, here we are again for another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. We welcome you to join us as you have been in the past. Hopefully you've listened to the previous episodes and we have more to come as well. John Nugent is my guest once again. How's it going, John? It's going great. We're three days of recording, and uh, I've enjoyed the conversation thoroughly. So we continue to answer your questions. The question is, what are your thoughts on revival, and do you believe there is a revival on the way? What shall I say to this question? I think a better word for revival is awakening. We have, in the Old Testament narrative, 10 or 12 national awakenings where God's Spirit breathed afresh on His people and it resulted in a number of things whereby they were revived, so to speak, returned to God's way, God's will. There was an elevated sense of the presence of God which resulted in celestial worship, a return to the Lord's mind and heart. And historically, we have a number of times where there were these awakenings in American history. You had the Great Awakening. You had the Second Great Awakening. In other lands, you had the Welsh Revival in 1904. In American more recent history, you had the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. And then you have two other revivals, which I find fascinating, one that swept the country from 1948 to 1952, and another that swept the country in the years 1968 to 1972. It was called the Jesus Movement, or the Jesus People Movement. And the outstanding marks of these revivals, there is an ingathering of lost souls that come to the Lord. There is, as I say, the elevated sense of worship, celestial worship, of God's presence that leads into celestial worship. There is a unity among God's people that is heightened. And also, in all these revivals, as I have studied them, there is some expression of what I would call body life, Mm -hmm. whereby God's people just want to be with each other all the time. And this harkens back to what we read about in the book of Acts chapter 2, where it says that they, meaning the believers, the disciples of Christ, the Christians, quote-unquote, met, and they met continually. It was as if the Spirit of God was a magnet inside of them that was drawing them together to be together, to assemble constantly. And in all of these revivals, you see this dynamic happening. And most of these revivals took place in the institutional church, And the doors of these churches would be open and people would gather and worship for hours and be together. And that would spill over into community meetings. The exception to that was the revival from 68 to 72. That was a revival outside the institutional church. And you had Christian communities forming all over America and even into North America. 
I would say the Cane Ridge revivals. Absolutely. You know, the early American ones. I'm from the Restoration Heritage, right? The Stone yeah, Camel right. Movement. And our movement of churches came into existence in part through the Cane Ridge revivals. Where, and this was outdoor preachers were preaching the gospel from stumps. Uh, and it led to, like you said, a, a clinging of Christians to one another, a, a knocking down of denominational barriers that separated Christians, mm-hmm. the work of the Spirit in palpable, tangible ways. Uh, with signs accompanying them uh, at this uh, really a critical turning point in American Christianity, a forging of a different kind of church in America Mm -hmm. uh, was being born there. Yes, absolutely. But I want to say a few critical things about revival. I may be the only man in America who would say this. Uh, I am not terribly impressed or fascinated by revivals. And let me tell you why. Revivals, as we have seen historically, bring the church up to zero. The word revival, in effect, implies that something is dead that you're reviving. Hmm. And in my observation and experience as I've studied revivals, as wonderful as they are, and people coming to the Lord and people getting a taste of body life, when that revival is over and the anointing lifts, what you have is a return to the Reformation kind of church that we had from the very beginning. And things go way back to normal, and nothing really changes. We don't need a revival, in my view. We need a revolution. We need a restoration of the body of Christ in its practice, breaking away from how we've done church for the last 1,500 years. And, you know, even in the Jesus People revival, where there were communities being born all over the country, that ended up being hijacked by Christian leaders who essentially snuffed the life out of it. And there's only two remnants that I can even think of that came out of the Jesus People revival that are still somewhat living in community, but they're both about dead. And new denominations came out of it. Calvary Chapel came out of it. The Vineyard came out of it. And I'm not I'm not even speaking about those as being a part of community life because in many cases they're just as institutional as any other church. But the two cases, I'm thinking of the Jesus people uh, who are in Chicago, and there's another one too, not what it once was. So I'm not really itching for revival. John, I'm itching for revolution. I'm calling for revolution. I'm calling for restoration. And my work over the last 10 years has been a call to return to first things in the practice of the body of Christ, the practice of the ecclesia. And I'm hoping and praying and actually expecting there to be another awakening in that particular area of people once again returning to first things. My only fear of this is that the media will catch hold of it and now it will become promoted and diluted and eventually killed. I like these kinds of awakenings to stay under the radar. (laughs) That's where God can do his his most important work. I say revolution, not revival. Yeah, I I think I can resonate with that. I've not been a first-hand participant in what people have called a revival. It's a part of Christian history. Uh, These are events that were extraordinary, that God did extraordinary things with. Uh, But they're not constant. The lifeblood doesn't continue to pump <laughs> out of them and sustain ongoing faithful Christian witness. It energizes the masses for a time, and then there's a dispersion 
and often that dispersion leads to things as normal. That's right. Uh, some good things have come out of it. I, I think the birth of the restoration movement out of that, the birth of a unity movement, you know, the presence among the American church of a people uh, who strive uh, to unify and love people across denominational lines. Of course, now that's popular. Everyone's Absolutely. doing it. But they were doing that when it wasn't popular. They were doing that growing out of yes. religion in Europe, where you have you know religious wars and countries divided by denominational lines, and the sectarianism was so strong uh, that there was this impulse for unity around the basics, around returning the first things. Uh, that was a good thing that came of it. But yet, yeah, to ask for a revival to me is seems artificial. If, if God wants to do a revival, God's going to do a revival when he does it. Yeah. And we're going to recognize it when it happens. To The idea that we might do something to engineer a revival mm-hmm. uh, frightens me. Mm-hmm. But a revolution is what Jesus started. Amen. And a revolution is what he wants. Yes. And um, God has, uh, all throughout church history, maintained for himself a people <laughs> who were committed to his revolution. And I hope... Uh, their tribe grows. And, and I do think there is, at least among the books I'm reading, um, when I first started teaching uh, at a, a Christian school, uh, what, 17 years ago, uh, I couldn't find textbooks that spoke to ordinary people about the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the gospel in terms of kingdom terminology, mm-hmm. which was so central to the early revolution of Jesus. And now, uh, there are amazing resources out there. I mean, your book came out, my book came out, and we both have others that we can point to mm-hmm. um, who have written works about the kingdom that are accessible to people where people can catch the kingdom vision. I'm seeing a flowering of resources. So I think God is renewing his church's sense of what the gospel is. And that gospel had been hijacked, I think, for a long time yes. to uh, affirming a doctrine of atonement and getting in a right standing with God and then waiting until you die to experience yes. uh, his kingdom. And I think, I think it's good news that there is an awakening of the gospel of the kingdom as a, a new social order in world history, a revolution started by Jesus that has begun that we get to participate in. I'm encouraged by that movement. And I have a word for it. It's called insurgents. That's exactly right. Uh, and it has begun. And I think that this is not a revival. It is a revolution. It is, in my viewpoint, in my observation, it has begun recently. Not only the Lord knows where it will go, but one of the impetuses and provocations of this podcast is to continue to present the insurgents, to introduce people to it with the hopes that it will spread. And the podcast format is a great way for deepening people in it, a recovery of the gospel of the kingdom and its implications, as well as creating a a simple format by which you can spread it and share it with others. They didn't have technology during the days of any of those past revivals. They didn't have the internet or blogs or podcasts in the days when all the revivals we mentioned occurred. But I want to stress again that in all of these previous revivals, God did gain some things, but eventually tradition ended up killing them. And if there is not the departation, the dropping off, the dropping out of man-made rituals and traditions, and the getting back to the primitive expression of the body of Christ, 
communities that are under the headship of Christ, then again, things just go back to normal. And unfortunately, in many of these revivals, I would say virtually all of them, including the revival that occurred during the same time that the Stone-Campbell movement started in the 1800s over there in Great Britain, you had the Brethren revival, the Plymouth Brethren, at the Mm -hmm. same exact time, in the same place. And both groups ended up being hijacked by what I call being captured by the same spirit you oppose. That you have this clear articulation about the oneness and unity of the body of Christ, but then over time, the people in that movement become captured by that same spirit they're opposing, and then they begin to divide and separate, split up and branch off, and in some cases become very exclusive. That if you're not part of our thing, you're really not part of what God is doing. Uh, which is a sentiment that I personally take issue with and abhor. I don't believe there are any special Christians, and I don't believe there are any special Christian movements. Yet, that is a temptation for anyone who is breaking new ground in the things of God. That feeling, that sense of being special. And uh, we can do a whole podcast on that, that elitist attitude. But I do think that we are in the beginnings of the insurgents, and as we pointed out before, not everybody who uses the phrase gospel of the kingdom is saying the same thing. But the Lord's up to something, and we certainly invite you who are listening to be a part of it. Now then, I have another question. John, the question was, what practical ways, what specific ways will a person's life change and be altered if they, in fact, really quote-unquote, get the message of the gospel of the kingdom, if they really, truly understand it and embrace it, what sort of things will manifest in their life? Uh, And I think the best way to describe this or answer this is just by giving testimonials of people we have seen and known, and even ourselves. What shifted? And how do you know if someone really has embraced the gospel of the kingdom? Let me preface by saying this, and I'm sure you you would echo this. We are all distracted by the the riptide of content that's coming at us every single day through books, through podcasts, through media, through radio, through television, through blogs, through articles, magazines, etc. I'm speaking in the Christian context. And so it's very easy for someone to read a book from cover to cover, put it on their shelf, and go on to the next book go on to the next podcast and go on to the next blog, assuming that just because they read a book, they got the message. And I have noticed in my own experience that, especially when we're talking about the deeper things of God, like the gospel of the kingdom, the drip-drip effect is necessary, meaning we must hear it, read it, absorb it over and over again until it really gets into us. That just hearing it one time and just seeing it one time and just reading it one time is not enough for it really to penetrate us, especially if we're people who just like to go on to the next thing, the next subject, the next book, the next article that really may have nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom. So so I just want to say that as a caution. That's why in the beginning of my book, I really urge readers, listen, this is not something you should just read once, put on the bookshelf and check the box and say, oh, yeah, I got that down. Now I know what the gospel of the kingdom is. Let's move on to other things. 
this is a message, and I'm not just saying this because I'm the author of the book. I would say this for any book that presents the gospel of the kingdom, the eternal purpose, etc. The exhortation is to go over it again, and even better with a friend, to have a conversation about it or with a group of people. That's the only way that these things really penetrate into our spirits and begin to show up in real tangible ways. But having said that, John, why don't you speak to this issue of what kind of things will manifest, will change, will appear in a person's life if they have genuinely received and gotten, quote-unquote, the gospel of the kingdom? Yeah, there are several things, and maybe we can take turns. I'll present one thing and talk about it briefly. Absolutely. You can present one thing, I can come back to another thing. Uh, One thing that changes for a lot of people when the light bulb turns on, right, and in my book, Endanger Gospel, which you focus on this this kingdom revolution, I mean, the image on the front cover is a light bulb. Yeah. Like when the light bulb turns on, people all of a sudden start prioritizing their church families, uh, their kingdom communities, their brothers and sisters in Christ, and prioritizing them perhaps for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Instead of these being my, my associates that I see on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the associates that I might attend a Bible study with and sit in the same rows listening to a teacher teach, they go from being Christian associates to being family. Mm-hmm. We start thinking of them as people that we want to celebrate holidays with, that we want to be in our children's lives, um, that we want to see when we get home from work. <laughs> mm. uh, we want to talk to on the phone if we can't be with them. There's this prioritizing of the family of believers, uh, not because we're going in the direction of being an ingrown kind of group, but because we're caught with uh, God's grand designs. It's through our love for one another that people will be drawn to God's love for them. And we will begin prioritizing the family of believers like we never have before. That's one thing. I'm in full agreement with that. And to the person who's listening and says, I would love to have that, but I don't know anybody like that in my life who I can have that kind of close-knit relationship with, you may want to listen to another episode where we discuss, what do I do if I cannot find any other believers who are interested in living out the gospel of the kingdom? And we address that in some detail. There's also the concept of the kingdom cell which you will find in the later chapters of Insurgents. But having said that, if the impulse to prioritize your life with other believers is certainly going to be something that's going to manifest if you really get this message, in whatever capacity that may be. I think another thing too, John, is out of the heart the social media feed speaks. If you really want to find out what a person is obsessed with consumed with or what turns them on or what jazzes them up just look at what they're putting on their facebook update page and just look at what they're putting on twitter and just look at what they're putting on instagram a person who hears the gospel of the kingdom or reads it and then checks the box and goes on to something else some other topic some other issue some other obsession and now their social media feeds are filled with things that have nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom, then I would say you haven't gotten the message. Because if you really understand that message, you comprehend it, you have been illuminated by it, 
you've been arrested by it and you have truly embraced it, it is going to obsess you on one level, a big level, and it's going to come out. I'm on social media and so I see feeds, I see what people write, and it's so clear to me the people who have really imbibed the gospel of the kingdom and begin to embody it, it comes out in their social media feed. You see them talking about it over against people who may have heard it, been exposed to it, and now they're talking about what is the president doing? And they're criticizing the latest thing or they're defending the latest thing. Or they're posting pictures of whatever is going on, whether it's the food they're eating, whether it's the place they're visiting, And it's just a constant stream of things that have nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you post something about something you eat or the place you visit, that that's somehow wrong. I'm talking about the bulk of what you're writing. Out of the social media feed is that which reveals what's in your heart. And this is why I talk about the drip-drip effect. So I think that's a big change. Another thing, and and you already kind of alluded to it in, in the social media thing, is a Christian who is captured by a vision of God's kingdom in this world uh, will lose their love for the kingdoms of this world. All of a sudden, the decisions that are being made in Washington, Mm -hmm. um, the allegiance to the political left or the political right, the love for that will grow cold. That will seem not so important anymore to your own life. And uh, you will gain a sense of distance from it. Almost like I don't study on a regular basis what's going on in Canada you know, mm-hmm. and the laws that are being made. That's not the country where I live. Uh, that's not the kingdom that I'm a part of. I'm not caught up with it and tracking with it all the time. I think similarly, when you catch a vision for God's kingdom and you realize it's a kingdom that is transnational uh, and it revolves around the kingdom communities who embrace God's kingdom, uh, even the host nation where you live, as an alien and as an exile, begins to feel alien to you. You begin to feel like an exile, where Washington's politics is no longer your politics, because you've been smitten by the alternative politics of God's reign. So that's another area. Uh, yeah, the talking points of the left and the right become like sawdust in your mouth because you have been captured by something higher and greater. You have left the civilization of the world, the world system, and you have you have now plunged in deeply into the new alternative civilization that is kingdom of God. And again, this comes out in the social feed, because I can't go one day just glancing at a Facebook social feed or Twitter social feed, which is mostly populated with Christian people, and not see the talking points of either the left or the right, for that week, filling up virtually every single feed. It's just so disheartening. And I would say the same thing with people who tend to be on the left who are enamored with globalism, because that's still part of this world, this fallen world civilization. So that will break off too. Here's one more thing uh, I will add. The besetting sins, to use the phrase from Hebrews, the various things that you have tolerated in your life, which are hindering you from entering into the fullness of the kingdom. Uh, And I have a whole list of these various things in insurgents in one of the sections that cover each of them. You will no longer tolerate them in your life. You will be extremely persistent to 
lay hold of the Lord to break the power of those things in your life. So there will be an intolerance that will come upon you if you truly have heard the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And you will, to use the metaphor that Jesus used, you will exercise spiritual violence in pressing into the kingdom of God. You will wage holy violence against these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to take a lot of bandwidth on this because I do address it in the book, but that is going to be a big sign if, in fact, you have heard and received the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, another one is uh, you will grow increasingly intolerant of broken relationships. Your disposition toward other people is going to fundamentally change. Within the body of Christ, uh, you're going to want to reconcile. You're not going to want to let friction stand between you and a fellow believer. Mm. You're going to want to go to them in love and find out what is this wall between you. You'll be eager to knock it down and reconcile with them. And and outside of the body of Christ, you won't expect the same spiritual kinship, right? Um, But you'll recognize that these are people who are captives to the kingdoms of this world, who are enslaved to another master, Uh, and you won't feel like uh, you need to judge them or stand over them, um, but you'll look upon them uh, with compassion uh, as people who need to be freed from bondage that you're not intimidated by uh, because they're different from you and, and sin captures their life the way it doesn't capture yours anymore. Uh, you will not be offended by their worldliness, uh, but you will, you will see them as the lost children of God who have strayed from him and who need to be drawn into his kingdom project. And so this love of brothers and sisters in the community uh, will lead to reconciliation. And this love for the enemy uh, will typify how you relate to those outside the body uh, who are threatening to your life. Uh, This radical notion of forgiveness uh, will become a way of life. The other thing, and it almost sounds contradictory, but it's not, is you are going to reassess your relationships with unbelievers. So if you are a person who has been in a romantic relationship with a non-believer, or maybe someone who is a Christian, quote-unquote, but has no driving desire for Jesus Christ, wherein he is not their whole life, uh, you are going to reassess that whole relationship. And the demand of the gospel of the kingdom will no doubt lead you to sever that relationship because you're unequally yoked. Now, I'm not saying that as a demand or a request or a command. I'm saying this is what happens. This is what happens. I've known numerous people who have heard and received the gospel of the kingdom and had to break up with her boyfriend or girlfriend because they were unequally yoked, to use Paul's phrase in 2 Corinthians. You may be inclined to change your occupation because maybe you're in a job that is enslaving you. And when you step back and you look at it, you see that your whole life is wrapped up in money, possessions, and wealth, the things that that job provides. You may reassess your business partnerships because it's incompatible to your walk with the kingdom of God. It's possible to be in close-knit relationships with people who are bringing you away from the kingdom rather than toward the kingdom, right? The unequal yoke, the the strongest yoke is marriage, right? But there are other yokes, boyfriend, girlfriend, close friends, 
a business partner. Those are yokes as well. The Holy Spirit has a way of shining his light on these areas and giving you wisdom as well as the power to accomplish it to deal with these areas. I talk a lot about having dealings with the Lord. And that's what happens when a person receives the gospel of the kingdom into their heart. It touches these various areas. So that's not in contradiction to what John said at all. It's just another side of it as it deals with our relationships. That's right. Uh, a similar one, I think that, and I was going to go with the job thing, and you kind of stole my thunder there. Um, but I think Christians who are captured with a vision of God's kingdom are going to uh, reassess every aspect of their life. In other words, um, you will come under the conviction that there's no part of your life that shouldn't be part of how you're bearing witness to the kingdom. You will you'll no longer have a, you put on your job hat when you go to work, your family hat when you go home, your church hat when you go to church, and your uh, materialistic hat when you go to the store. Uh, you'll realize that every aspect of your life is under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you'll begin reassessing your relationships in all of those areas. Mm -hmm. How can I spend my money when I shop in such a way that reflects the kingdom is first in my life? How do I relate to my job in a way that reflects that the most important thing I do is not what I get paid to do at my job, but the most important thing that I do is bear witness to God's kingdom as a part of the kingdom community. Uh, and for some people, the job is an idol because that's the place where people find their satisfaction their meaning in life. And kingdom citizens will no longer find their meaning in life in their nine to five. Uh, they will find, they, they will, they can't wait to get home <laughs> from their job so that they can be with the kingdom community, uh, loving one another, finding creative ways to be witnesses to their neighbors and a presence in their communities so that others might be attracted to the kingdom. But they won't view their job as totally separate from that. They will find ways to be a witness to God's kingdom in how they are an employee, how they are, whether how they relate to their bosses, how they relate to people who are under them at work, how they relate to peers at work, will have this kingdom disposition where other people are not accessories to our life, but they are dearly beloved people of God that he wants us to show the kingdom to by how we relate to them in our jobs. Another thing that will be altered is when you hear the gospel of the kingdom or you read it, whichever way it comes to you and you really have truly embraced it, something happens in your tastes when it comes to ministry, when it comes to listening to people preach, when it comes to reading books, you now, uh, if I can put it this way, you're wrecked for anything else. Mm -hmm. And so the books you used to read, you no longer have an interest. The sermons or messages or podcasts or blogs you used to read or listen to, you used to listen to or read, now it becomes like toothpaste. You, you are now ruined for anything else, and you want to hear that same song, and you want to go deeper into that same message, that same vision of this is what happened to me personally. You know, I came across a book by an author whose name I will not repeat here. He's no longer living. And this was many years ago, and it wrecked me for anything. And now, you know, most of what I look at, it's like sawdust in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was asked recently uh, by someone who read the book several times, 
listened to the master class on the gospel of the kingdom, read the blog series, and has also read a few other books, I've read your book. And he said, Frank, I'm still hungry. I want to go deeper. I want to go more. I'm hungry and thirsty. What other resources can you give me? And of course, I mentioned the podcast coming up, which at the time was not created yet. The Insurgents podcast, the one you're listening to now, boys and girls. Uh, but I also said to him, I have put together a list of the 100 best Christian books ever written. And I said, go over to the mission section and the church section and begin reading those books because they will broaden your understanding. They will broaden your insight into the various aspects of the gospel of the kingdom. But basically, that's what happened to him. He was wrecked and he wanted things that were along the same line. It's really hard to find. I mean, there's lots of books on the kingdom. There are many. But those that present a clear articulation of the gospel of the kingdom, those are rather rare. But there are books that deal with different aspects of the gospel of the kingdom. So you might want to check out, you can go to frankvella.org forward slash top 100. And you can take a look at those books. And there is a book entitled The Endangered Gospel by the gentleman I'm sitting next to right here. So that's another aspect. It will change your taste buds when it comes to what you hear and what you read. I'll share one more. I think we become uh, people of hope because our hope is in God's kingdom and his kingdom's coming in its fullness is assured. The victory's already been won on the cross. The abundant life is something we've already entered into. Uh, We'll become a people who are hopeful. Our enthusiasm and our sense of joy for life is not going to be tied to how the stock market is doing, uh, how people are getting along in Washington, uh, how our our job is going, and how the business we work for is going, uh, even how our physical health is going. Um, That our sense of meaning and purpose is the joy in fellowship that we have with one another, the new abundant life we experience as those who have tasted of the kingdom of God will be what sustains us and drives us. And and so uh, there is a resilience we'll have, the things that used to weigh us down, mm-hmm. uh, that used to rob us of our joy. Where's it is there? amazing how joyful the early church was, oh, yes. who had very little money, very little status in society, no support from the Roman Empire and oh, yeah. the country where they lived. They were being persecuted. Their loved ones were being imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And these people overflowed with joy, and they found their joy in community, uh, their experience of the kingdom. And, and so I think our joy and our hope shifts. And that's one of the surest signs that someone has joined the insurgents. Well put, and I fully agree with that. A few other ones. One of them is you will abandon the gospel of legalism. You will cease from being a leaven-dispensing Pharisee who is self-righteous and judges others on the one hand and who is also striving to make God happy by your behavior on the other. You will be freed from guilt and condemnation. And this is the beginning part of insurgence. But I have found, John, that a person really needs to engage the drip-drip effect for that message to sink in because God's people have been listening to legalism and legalistic preaching, uh, which is in the drinking water of the evangelical world, for so long, and it's so pervasive, 
but it takes a real revelation of the Spirit of God to crack that. So that's one other manifestation. The other one is, it's the other side of the coin, <laughs> or the other extreme. You will be freed from the gospel of libertinism, which is in the drinking water of mainstream progressive Christianity, which says because we're under grace, it doesn't matter what we do in our individual lives. God's all about how much involvement you have in social efforts. That begins to be obliterated in your life as well. And you come into an experience of submission to the Lordship of Christ at the same time that you come into an experience of the liberty of the Spirit. And those are two sides of the same coin, the Lordship of Christ and the liberty of the Spirit. They sound contradictory, <laughs> but they're not. Because he captivated me, because he captured me, I was then set free. The freest place you can ever be is under his sovereign kingship. I want to close by saying this last thing. How you spend your money and time changes. Absolutely. Not just with respect to a local body of believers, if you are fortunate enough and blessed enough to have that. But, John, I've talked to so many Christians who say that they have been enraptured by the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. And then when there is an opportunity for them to attend a conference where other insurgents are going to be present because it costs money to get on an airplane and get in a hotel room and take off work for a few days, they immediately make it a non-option. And that to me screams that the kingdom of God is not as important as you say or think. That you're going to skip this opportunity to be with other people who have embraced the gospel of the kingdom from all over the world. And by the way, I'm not promoting any particular conference here intentionally. But I'm just saying in general, here's an opportunity to connect with others, to be equipped by those who are preaching this message. And you're going to say no to that. And yet you will save money. You will spend money to go on a vacation with your family for fun. Or multiple. Multiple <laughs> trips like that. Yeah. Right. John, what do you say to that? Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, you're expenditure of money reflects where your heart is and uh, you will find that opportunities for fellowship with fellow kingdom-minded people will be the very thing you want to do and it's why I'm here in Florida right now I received an invitation from a brother I knew that was as consumed with the kingdom as I am and he invited me to come to Florida to talk about the kingdom together and uh, I wanted to find time in my winter break to make that happen because where else would I want to be? Yeah. And I'll go a step further. You know, those of you who are in the wilderness, if you're dying on the vine because you cannot find any other people to connect with, well, if an opportunity comes your way of a conference where people are getting together to connect over the gospel of the kingdom, then that's your answer. And if your answer to that is, well, I don't have time and I'm not willing to spend the money to be there, then one can question rightly, how serious you really are about the gospel of the kingdom and embodying the kingdom. It's often not going to just come to you. Someone's not going to knock on your door and say, hey, you know, I'm part of the insurgents. Let's start meeting together. And many Christians, John, have that kind of mindset. I mean, they don't think that actually out loud, but that's sort of the thing that is stirring in their heart is this has to be convenient. It has to come to me. I'm not willing to spend any money or time in investing. And I want to say something else about 
what you just said, John. John's here. We're in Orlando, Florida. He came out here because of the reasons he articulated. And we're right next to Disney World, folks. And he has not once mentioned it and said he wants to go there. Not that it's a sin to go there. I love Disney World, okay? But I'm just saying, if you have to make a decision between that vacation and attending an event where you're going to meet people who are gathering around the gospel of the kingdom and connecting over that, then whatever decision you make there is not unrelated to how much that gospel has gripped your heart. And the beautiful thing is that some of these conferences are in Orlando, and some of the families who attend these conferences make a trip out of it where they get the vacation time in <laughs> at Disney World yeah. and attend the conference at the same time. So that is often another option. We're not against vacations, folks. We're not against families being together and having fun. We're just making a point about priorities. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. And uh, we will see you again in the next episode of the Insurgents Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.